Hello and welcome to Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. Good has finally, finally triumphed over evil as we got our very first league win over Chelsea in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And a day for pallid kings everywhere as Oliver Skip scored his first ever goal for us. I'm not going to say this means anything for the future of this insane team, but I am going to enjoy the hell out of it. Billy, you were there. Can you talk me through it? Atmosphere, all the rest of it. Was it a glorious, glorious day? It certainly was a glorious, glorious day. Like the first time I beat them in five years in the league. Um, Yeah, amazing. Um, I just want to share a couple of things that happened in terms of the atmosphere because I know there is starting to be the beginning of like a club dialogue with a couple of different fan organisations. So um, JHSC Flags did a their own uh, collection for Harry Kane um, and they did a giant surf or flag or, or giant flag for um, one of our own, Harry Kane. That was in the South Stand. That's great. Um, because obviously, the, the you know, the week before the club did like their their own uh, TIFO for Harry Kane, but THFC fans were adamant and, you know, I totally see why they wanted to do one that was paid for totally by the fans. Um, it was like a gesture to Harry Kane. So I thought that was amazing. I thought, you know, fair play to that. And I know that they've got plans for uh, AC Milan as well. Um, also, the guys at Spurs song sheet um, have been in dialogue with the club and about getting the music turned down at the beginning of the game um, so that we can sing Oh, When the Spurs Go Marching In at the beginning, which I think is, is much needed as well. Um, so I think it's definitely starting to see some good conversations with the club to improve the atmosphere. It was pretty good, the atmosphere on Sunday. You know, it was, it's a classic 1.30 kickoff. It's never going to be totally amazing. Um, but I think it's really good that the club are like starting to talk to people about these things and recognising that it does need to get better. Um, and it's definitely, definitely a step in the right direction. How did the um, the the fan TIFO compare then to the one last week? So it, yeah, so I think it was it was nice because it had like some some like pictures of of Harry Kane throughout his career, um, which I think was really really good. Um, and I think the you know the the most important thing about it was that it, it came from only fan donation and fan work. Yeah, um, and I think that makes it a bit more special. I know that they've got fifty new flags in place for AC Milan and they're also if you check out their Twitter right now THFC underscore flags um, they're also doing a, another surf over this season again with fan donation money so yeah so I think it's it's, it's a really it's a, it's a great step um, and I think the more sort of donations and the more sort of work with, with other people um, and more work from the club they get the better it's going to look because they, you know you have to start somewhere of these things um you know i know a lot of people volunteer a few of us are volunteering on um on the actual day to go and get it and collect it and the club are really helpful with that um it's a bit scary being able to like walk pitch side right before the game that was like terrifying oh my god did you do it <laughs> yeah i did it on on sunday yeah i went to pick up the flag with a few other guys and um it was absolutely terrifying to be honest because it was literally like pitch side as the, the players are coming out <laughs> it's very scary <laughs> but yeah i mean it's just you know it's nothing compared to what the to the actual guys at the hfc flags do so yeah so it's a great start i think were you tempted to run over to emerson and be like Gen- you're my guy i just want you to know was. i think you know it, maybe the ac milan game i might sort of fake going to help with that one again just leg it towards emerson <laughs> just take, the, take the lifetime down i think he'd really love it to be honest yeah, exactly. I think he'd I think he'd have your back if it ever came to a ban. Um, I was thinking about it because I I wasn't there, but Ollie was. And it put me in mind of what we were talking about last week, where Charlie was saying, uh, you know, he maintains that like the greatest feeling, greatest emotion at football is relief. And Chelsea's a funny one, isn't it? Because when we beat them, rare as it is, it's not, obviously it doesn't have that same kind of thrill as Arsenal. So there is relief because obviously it's been so, so, so long. But how did you feel in the first half particularly? Like, was there, there must've been quite a lot of nerves, right? Yeah, I think there was. But do you know what was a bit strange about it? It was was kind of the same sort of first half that we've seen over the last season that we we sort of sat off and let them come at us and we'll try and break them on the counter. But just like Chelsea are just not very good. Like they're just I didn't really feel like threatened that much at all. And we gave them so much of the ball. And you know they had they they came up they came out quite strong at the start. But I was just amazed at how bad they are. Like I actually can't believe it. Like the money that they've spent, you know, they've got this the Graham Potter and they've got all these amazing players allegedly. And like I never really felt that under threat from them at all, to be honest. It was a bit strange because I didn't ever feel like we've lost control of the game. I felt like 
yeah, we're not really attacking as much as we were. And obviously that is by design when you, you see the second half and the, the fruits that we have from that. But I never really felt under the cost that we have. You know, there's been first halves of the season where it's been awful and we're just lucky to get to half time. It didn't feel like that at all. I know there was the incident right before, which I, I know we'll come on to later. But um, nah, I just, I felt quite relaxed, to be honest. It, it didn't feel like we were under, like, you know, like we've had the Arsenal game and the Liverpool game and they absolutely battered us for a half and we just get into half time and hope that it's better. It didn't really feel like that, to be honest. It felt like we were, we were kind of sort of, you know, like a Floyd Mayweather cut boxing performance where we're just trying to not get hit and then see what happens next. Yeah, and that's sort of what I meant about relief in a way because there's something so relaxing about because I've had this experience before where you where you watch us play a team and you're like I actually I feel fine I think this is going to end in our favour and I feel quite comfortable and obviously there are times when you're proved sort of hilariously humiliatingly wrong but when you are right it's such a good feeling and you can come away from it being like that was fine I totally called that and I was right to feel comfortable I was right to feel relaxed Tom you were watching at home how did you feel? Well, um, yeah, I, it's one of the few games I've, or certainly the big games that I've watched at home this season. I've been to pretty much every game, but my wife was away, so I couldn't go. And obviously, I was less tense just by not being in the stadium. You know, when you can see the opposition fans, you're always going to be more tense. And I think also, I'm the opposite. You know, I find it more relaxing in the stadium. Oh, really. Yeah, and I always have been like that. I don't know why, but it's sort of being surrounded by your people and just the, there's no commentary in the stadium. Maybe that's no, what helps I think, me. I think the sense of occasion in the stadium just gets me fired up. Whereas, <laughs> you know, on Sunday I hid my put a film on for my kids in my daughter's bedroom and sat down with a beer on my own to watch the game. So also because it was Chelsea, it felt like a free hit. Our record against them has been so bad. And obviously, they're as bad as they've been in a hell of a long, long time. So I sort of just thought, look, with whatever happens, I'm, I'm going to be fairly relaxed. If we lose against them, we always lose against them. So, but if you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago if I'd have taken six points from West Ham and Chelsea, two games where the opposition always like raise their level, two cup finals, if you will, six points, four goals without conceding. It's pretty great, isn't it? Um, and I think it was quite amazing how the Chelsea game was pretty, you know, very much mirrored the West Ham game. The first half, I mean, we're not playing scintillating football, I wouldn't say, and certainly not in the first half of games. The first half of Chelsea wasn't quite as boring as the first half of West Ham, partly because everyone was just very fired up, weren't they? And there were so many niggly challenges, I think, Um in that first half. But yeah, the mirror image of Chelsea and, and uh, of West Ham, sorry, and six points from those two games without either team really troubling us. So I think it's pretty great. Yeah, and I think like this is the first, you know, the first, the two games that you mentioned are definitely similar. I think it's like the first, or it feels like the first kind of period in a while where you, you sort of see the logic behind the first half, second half thing because we've, we've dealt with it all season to, to varying degrees and like, it's been really, really frustrating because we've been so bad in the first half, and, and then we sort of we have so much to do in the second half that almost at times it's become impossible. But this is like the plan actually working and doing what it's supposed to do. Like, okay, yeah, we, you know, it would be great if we could play amazing football for ninety minutes, but obviously, you know, Con that's not what Conte is about at the moment. And he's decided, you know, with the players we have, that he's not going to do that. And um, and so if we have to endure these first halves where we don't sort of come at it, then. You've got to see the the benefits in the second half, and the the two games that you just mentioned, we've really started to see it. I think it was the first time, probably this season, where I actually feel like the first half, second half thing is actually all right, and maybe that is the sort of the blueprint that we've been following all season. Maybe this is it finally sort of proven its worth. Yeah, so it feels even though I just said at the beginning of this podcast I wasn't gonna kind of take this game to sort of mean anything for the rest of the season. But if we could actually get our shit together like we did at the, towards the end of last season, and it's starting to get that kind of vibe, the like mental Leicester game aside, we seem to have timed it right. And also, like in spite of all of our crazy injuries, because aside from anything else, like what we've got to give a moment for Oliver Skip, man, because what a moment to score your first ever goal. Is it his first ever? It must be like his first senior goal. Like, yeah. And I just want to say, goal for, for us, any, 
for those that were there, like it's just a classic Tottenham thing that pretty much no one was in the stadium. Like, if you ask if you're <laughs> yeah. in a football ground in the second half at that time, then you know you're in the minority because I, I was in the I was sort of in the, in between getting a drink and going back. And I heard everyone sort of shouting, and that was what I now know to have been that Emerson chance. And then it kind of dissipated for a bit, and then suddenly everyone started going crazy. And that sort of mad rush of everyone going through the turnstiles is amazing. But yeah, if they in future, if they could sort of hold up scoring for at least the first three or four minutes before the rest of the crowd get in there, because you know it was there were there were thousands and thousands of people that were not there to see it. And so I love that you know it's one of those things where everyone's talking about how amazing it was that they saw already skipped through his goal. Did you actually see it though, or were you like me and watched <laughs> it from the back of the queue in the South Stand? As I know that I literally saw a good three quarters of the stadium probably were. I mean, I didn't see it at all because I was out with my kids that afternoon, like, again, like freezing my ass off in some in in a local playground. So, you know, you've got you saw more of it than I did. It sort of got, went for this weird thing of like seeing that we scored against Chelsea, which is amazing. Then mm-hmm. I, I got in there as everyone was sort of celebrating. I was sort of looking at the crowd and sort of came was getting involved. I think, oh, I guess Harry must have scored. And then suddenly it comes on the speaker that Ollie Skip has scored. So what the hell is going on here? What have I had at half time? This is this must be some kind of like fever dream or something. There's no way that Ollie Skip. I think we even mentioned it on our last podcast. Um, he just you know he's not he's not a goal scorer at all. He doesn't even shoot. So yes, it was amazing to see that. Well, it was it was amazing to hear about it. Again, it was similar to my the fever dream of the West Ham game, where Ben Davis and Emerson Royale were suddenly threw on goal. Like what? Why is Ben Davis on the ball on the edge of the box? Kind of ever, um, <laughs> particularly from you know uh, a uh, a break like that, a counter attack like that, rather than something that had built and he was he was on the wing. Um, but yeah, what a, what a hit from Skippy, and I enjoyed lots of people pointing out that. You know, for Chelsea's uh, very expensively assembled squad of of mercenaries, uh, we had two academy players uh, score our two goals. Uh, that was that was super sweet and good on good on Skippy. I like. I think we've probably criticised him a bit on this podcast, and I think I've certainly doubted whether he's quite Tottenham level. Um, but he's had a very stop start career, hasn't he? He's had a lot of injuries. He's dealt with multiple managers, as we as we uh, all have. So fingers crossed for him. He this he can use this as a as a platform, and he's been very good since he. I think that Preston game was it, the FA Cup game, where he came on second half and was excellent. He's barely put a foot wrong since then. And I think um, the thing about it for me was, if even if you take away the goal from Sunday, he was excellent. Like he was like. One of our best players. I think, to be honest, I think most, almost everyone was excellent on Sunday. But he was a standout player again, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty. Like you mentioned, Tom, it's pretty much since, since he came in from that pressing game. Actually, he was excellent against, um, he was excellent against AC Milan. He was excellent against West Ham, and he's been excellent against West, um, against Chelsea now. Um, so even if you take away the goal, I thought he was really, really good in that midfield um, again. Yeah, and I think. Um... I, I do want to talk a bit about how poor Chelsea were because that's very satisfying to me. But I also... Can we just talk about just that for the rest say, of the podcast? Yeah, yeah just, I mean, we'll definitely... Yeah. yeah, we should definitely devote a, like, a good portion of time to that. Um, but I do want to talk about how good we were as well and just you saying that everyone was good. One of the things that people have said, which I enjoy so much, is that we bullied them, we dominated them. And even when we've beaten them in the past, that's not really been how it's gone down. Like if you think of the mental 5-3, you know, sort of at the beginning of the Kane era, that was just chaos. And then even when we beat Conte's Chelsea, um, sort of at the height of Pochettino, it was more just going like toe-to-toe with them and kind of fighting for everything with them. It was that we've never, however bad they've been, We've never been able to impose ourselves. It's always been, you know, their centre-backs have been kind of imperious and somebody like Rudig has always, you know, been able to kind of push Kane around. And this time it was us. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of things to say on that. One of them is that it's interesting that Stellini came out um, after the game and was talking about winning second balls because one of our biggest criticisms which I've, I've read online about the season is um you know I'm not I'm not particularly tactically focused I don't really notice these things as much as other people 
but saying that we, you know, we don't win enough second balls, and they've watched. Stellini said they've watched it really hard on training over the last couple of weeks, and that goal just came from uh, Oliver Skip winning a second ball against Jar Felix, and uh, just robbing him of the ball and then shooting. That was fantastic. Another thing to say on that was there's a really good video during the rounds on Twitter about um, Romero and Royal, and they were like physically very dominant in this game. They were they were absolutely flying at both of them, absolutely flying into challenges the whole the whole way through, and they've sort of built this kind of like right hand side of like aggression. Um, this is not something we it's obviously something we've always associated with um, Romero, but it's not really something we've associated with Emerson Royal. But he's really sort of added it to his game, and they kind of like spur each other on. There's even this video of like. Emerson Royal flying into a tackle and Romero like lifting him up and celebrating it afterwards. Like, there's, you know, it's a real, it's a, you know, it's a, it's becoming a really, really decent partnership on that right hand side. And again, um, Royal was another standout player again. Royal was so good. And also, you know, watching it from home, you get the narratives, don't you? Um, that the, that Sky Sports or whoever are kind of putting forward. And certainly the, the, Beginning of that game, their whole thing was that James and Chilwell were finally back together. How how they're so much Chelsea are so much better when those two are playing. How you know because of injuries they've started some small you know twenty percent of their games together they've started or something twenty percent of the games that they've played. Um, and actually, they did fuck all and are. Wing backs who shouldn't really even be wing backs. Davis certainly shouldn't, and Emerson, who, as we've covered, was getting booed just a few weeks ago. They were absolutely excellent again. And shout out, Gentle Ben. Yeah, obviously, I'd like to give a special shout out to Gentle Ben because it was his three hundredth appearance for Tottenham, which is crazy. I mean, you know, I like to think it's like a testament to his kind of commitment and stamina um I know other people will be like it's just why was he never sold but I'm I just think it's something about our mental club that the sort of wing back system finally seems to be working and it's with two players who would like at least one of them as much as I love GB shouldn't really be anywhere near that position and Emerson who people just assume would be dropped immediately as soon as we got Pedro Porro so We've just we've just got a roll of this, really. I think it just seems to be working beautifully. Yeah, and I think we've found like two. Well, I know we have very small samples size of two games, but we found like two amazing Conte wingbacks in those two games in particular, who are like the least likely candidates to be a Conte wingback. Like if you you know whenever we talk about the Conte the ideal wingback, it's players like Udoji and Spence, like these really p- pacey players like Hakimi when he's at PSG, that kind of thing. And here we've just got two like you know players that are not known for their pace at all. They're just sort of they, they both work really really hard. They both do the basics quite well, and they're not you know in in inverted commas exciting players. But they both you know start and I think that's also a testament to themselves as well that they obviously are taking everything on board in the training and like the, they have that sort of desire to do it. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I just can't believe we've managed to find two Conte winbacks and like the two most unlikely candidates in the whole squad, arguably. Yeah, like, it's extremely Tottenham of us. Huge, huge shouts to Ben as well, right? Because he, you know, he played left back for all that time as kind of the second fiddle to Rose. It would play the, say, the Europa League game on a Thursday, you know, the, the midweek game or the less important games. And you kind of knew what you were getting. I always liked him a lot, but, you know, he was going to be hardworking. He wouldn't be flying forward or putting in crosses like Danny, Danny Rose would. Um, but then, like, suddenly converted to the, uh, one of three centre backs, and he did a really good job when he's played as a centre back. And yeah, and then suddenly, like you said, he's com- like flying forward as a wing back and just and doing an absolutely brilliant job at it. And I, I think it's one of those performances where you can go around the whole eleven and you know say something great that they did. Um, I, I, I kind of want to go on to like the front three because I know it's been a big topic over the last few weeks, and um, I thought they had a really good game together as opposed to like three individuals. But, bef- but I just wanted to shout out Forster as well because I thought again he's got like this this presence which you know Lloris just doesn't have. But it, you know Lloris is, is an excellent shot stopper. Um, he's very quick off his line and things like that. But he's not 
and a physically imposing goalkeeper like Forster is. And I, I yeah, I, think, I mean, he's about I, seven foot tall, isn't he? Yeah, he's about seven foot tall, and he, he's he's just calming. He, like with the distribution, like you you know, it's not going to be going straight out for a throw in and things like that. And I think he had that kind of Leicester game where people were, you know, the doubts were sort of creeping in. But I think he's kept four clean sheets in his last five Premier League games since he came in the sides. Um, and it's just a different kind. It's just a different kind of thing to Laurie. So not, you know, not necessarily he's a better goalkeeper or anything like that. It's just a different vibe that he has. Um, it's a lot more sort of calming, and I think that maybe it's starting to rub off onto the players a little bit because we. I know we've said on the past on this podcast that sometimes in a big game and Laurie sort of boots it out for a throw and everyone gets nervous. The fans, the players, the goalkeeper. It just descends into this kind of nervy few minutes after it happens. And Forster, I think, is sort of bringing that calm presence which we've needed for a while. And also, if we're talking about forwards, I think part of it, you know, I love I love Hugo and I feel like I always have to preface anything negative I say about him with this. You know, I love him. He's been such a great servant to the club, yada, yada. But it is, it's been really nice having Kane as the captain, hasn't it? And it is yeah, a bit, I- it's mental, actually, that Larissa is still our captain. Like, I think it's time and I feel like, when Hugo comes back, I really feel like that it should, he should just do the decent thing and be like, this is your armband now. Like, it's like, what, like, genuinely, what are we doing actually as a club? Yeah, he is, he is the captain of our club in every feasible mm-hmm. way other than, other than the armband, isn't he? And it's just, I think the, the thing of her, I know we've said it so many times before, but that performance against Chelsea, like any other player that's one of their best ever games and, and Kane is like, it's just a normal Sunday night afternoon for him. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a, there's a, a compilation during the rounds on on the Spurs Reddit of of his contributions against Chelsea, and it's at some of the balls that he was playing are absolutely unbelievable. And like, it's Kane. It's just another game. Like, it's not being talked about as one of his best games or anything. It's just kind of just another game. He scored a goal. Great. He does it every week, and he does do it every week. Um, but he was absolutely brilliant against Chelsea. And I think when Harry Kane decides to play like that, or not that he decided, you know, he's so consistent that he normally does anyway. But when he's in that kind of mood and he's against that kind of team like Chelsea, he does it against Man City sometimes as well in the previous couple of seasons. I, I honestly don't fear anyone. I think we can beat anyone who comes against us when Harry Kane is in that kind of form because he just does things on the pitch that no one else in the league or even in the world can do at the same time. And it's just one of those things that I think it's, it's, he's so good at and so done it so much now that it's again it's not talked about enough. It's probably why we've you know we've gone on ourselves so so long without even mentioning him. Do you think that Richarlison is now like getting on his wavelength as well? Because I do, I do think that one of the things that we've sort we sort of missed in Richarlison's sort of first couple of starts, and we kind of haven't really had it with Sun either for most of this season, but. Obviously, Kane and Son are like fully in sync and they always know where the other one's going to be on the pitch. Like at their best, that's what they do, right? And it just seemed to me, just the way you were saying that they were working much better as a front three, like now Richarlison knows where he needs to be more than he did perhaps. I was just going to say, it's weird to say this about a striker who hasn't scored or assisted, but... I think that was his best game for us. His his work rate was ridiculous. He just didn't stop running all game. Um, and he, yeah, he just bothered bothered Chelsea players, bothered defenders. We know he can wind people up. He's very good at that. Um, very good at creating space for, for other players. And yeah, agreed. His um, kind of telepathy with... Uh, Kane and Kulu was better than it's than it's been so far. I just he needs that goal. Obviously, I want him to score so badly. But yeah, I really think that was his his best performance for us so far. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. I think it was his best performance in a Tottenham shirt. Um, I think the second goal came from a corner that he won by chasing someone down, which he did all game and he does every single game. If you're in a derby like that, you want Richarlison starting over Son. I'm sorry, but you do. Um, he's, he's got the kind of sort of Lamella sort of esque, you know, that he gets in the face of oppositions. He annoys him. He, he could easily get someone sent off. Um, but the work rate is just is such a big attribute to us. And he definitely is starting to, to sort of become on the same wavelength as as Kane. And I also, I also think, as well as Richarlison's best game for us, I think that's Kulisevsky's best game for us in a while as well. Um, and I know we spoke last time about um, Kulisevsky being robbed of two assists versus West Ham. Again, for that for that Oliver Skip goal, he 
put it on a plate for Emerson Royale again. Emerson should have really scored that. Um, and he was robbed of an assist there. But all game, he was sort of, he was running that Chelsea, he was nutmegging people, he was going past players with ease. Um, so I think, and it, it's been due. I think they, they're, they're owed it as well, that these three players have hardly played together. They played two or three games together at best um, because we've been, you know, we've been persevering with Son, who has not scored anything like the goals that he scored in the last few seasons. So I think they're due a run in the team. And I think we're starting to see it in just these two games. We're starting to see them gel. And I think if that can happen for the rest of the season and Son is like, you know, the best sub that you could have in world football is home and Son on the bench. It's an incredible asset to have. Um, I think we're only going to finish the season strongly. Do we want to take some time now to talk about how bad Chelsea were? Because that was really, really, really satisfying. I feel like now Ollie and I had a bit of a disagreement about this because I thought the mess up, like um, when Kepa sort of, who was it? It was Fernandez who came to like, he sort of fumbled the ball and then Fernandez kind of booted it away from him, like right back at Skip. Sorry, and, can I just stop you there? That's um, yes. 120 million Fernandez. There. <laughs> just, uh, 120 million pound Fernandez takes the ball off his own keeper who probably should have, should have it covered at that point and boots it straight back right at Oliver's gip. So it's a, it's like a hilarious cock up, but you know, and Oliver says to me, well, you know, in the, in the heat of the moment, whatever these things happen and you might just want to be kind of, you know, covering for your goalkeeper. And I'm like, I don't think if you're confident in your keeper and you're confident in your defense, you're not going to be doing that. And I loved seeing them in utter disarray and the sort of same thing happened for the corner as well it's like I, like why are you putting Sterling on Kane and I could sort of see the some of the logic because Chilwell's just in front of him right so there are it's not it's not just Sterling but whether Chilwell kind of just drifts off somewhere or whether Kane's movement is just too good it could be both of those things I guess that they're sort of doing the basic things hilariously badly aren't they and that's really a delight for me personally. And it's one of those weird things of you sort of see, like we kept getting all the basics wrong for ages this season. And it's really nice to see another team who should be loads better at it than they are. Like, I'm like, what are you guys doing in training? Are you not doing defensive drills? Are you not listening to your manager? What's happening here? I don't care, but it's really fun to watch. And it's a 14 point gap now. Is it 14 points? We're above that. Should, should I just have a, should I have a quick look? <laughs> That's a quick look. No, it, uh, I'm near it's 14 and it's so, so sweet. Like, we're in. It is indeed 14. It's almost March and we're 14 points above Chelsea and they've spent mm-hmm. all that money. I just can't believe not one of them looks good, not one of those new signings. I think briefly in the first half, I thought maybe Sterling was going to cause some problems um, at the very, very beginning of the match. And it's weird that he feels like someone they've had for ages and they haven't. It's just since last summer. But of course, there's been a million other signings since. I think we also got a bit lucky with Thiago Silva going off injured, obviously. He's he's a very, like any any team would love him, obviously. But um, but did he get injured because he couldn't really handle Kane? Do you know what I mean? Like, did he sort of overcommit and overextend himself? And, and then injured, injured. By, by his own player as well, to make it even better. Yeah, there were uh, three, three players trying to tackle Harry Kane and they barged into each other and injured the best one of them, which is great. I'm telling you, like, defensive chaos. Like, they're not organised. They don't know what they're doing. It's so you know lovely think, to see it happen. And I think if there's anything, us Tottenham fans are experts over, the last, you know, since the last three or four seasons, it's knowing when a team have given up on their manager. And that is definitely a team that have totally given up on the manager. The fans have given up on the manager. And what's really amazing to come out is that there was an article come out, I think it was yesterday, I think I'm pretty sure you put it in the group chat actually, Tom, is that Chelsea have said they will stick with Graham Potter even if he loses against Leeds and if he gets knocked out of the Champions League. So the fans have given up on the manager, the players have given up on the manager, but the owner is refusing to give up on Graham Potter. And that is fantastic. Um, and I hope he stays forever at this rate because it's just brilliant to see. And I, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, necessarily think this is a you know Potter is the worst manager in the world or anything like that he's just not a Chelsea manager he is not a Chelsea manager at all um they're kidding themselves to think that they are a project club like that it's not what they are it's not what they ever have been under you know since you know since the Abramovich era 
you know, they're a big name managers club. You know, ironically, they, they would probably be much better suited to having Conte than they would Potter or like Zidane or someone like that. They are not a Graham Potter club. It's such a bad fit. Um, and long may it continue. Imagine if you're like Mudrick or whoever, like Mudrick was the one that briefly is like, he's the big signing and then a million others followed after him. Um, and you turn up and there's 33 players, first team players in training. I think it's 33. It's around that. More if you count like various loanies and like actually very talented youth players. Um, and then you can't get in the team either. Mudrick got, what, 10 minutes at the end like you said, Billy, like he's they're all obviously sat around thinking, what who is this Potter guy? I've never heard of him, and why is he managing this massive squad of hundred million pound players? And you know what Did I think you see the, the Reese James interview afterwards as well? They were like, you know, it's I can't even remember what the question was, and they were like, but it was obviously sort of along the lines of are you sticking with the manager? And he kind of effectively said, Yeah, you know, we've got no choice. <laughs> And you know what I think the sweetest thing about it all is if this if you gave this exact squad to Thomas Tuchel, they'd be fantastic. I mean, they would be absolutely brilliant. I just know, you know, it's the kind of the players that they've got, the sort of attacking players that that kind of, you know, the way that you don't they have a striker but don't really have a strike like your Havertz and your Madrid and all those kind of players. He, they would absolutely thrive under him and they sacked him and then they hired someone else. Um so it's great. It's even better, it's even sweeter. Yeah, the tragedy of it is really is that the sort of, you know, this, the self-harm in the long run probably won't stick, I guess, just because there's enough money and it's Chelsea, blah, blah, blah. But at the moment, we've just got to enjoy it because we've never actually really managed to beat them when they've been fully, like, the sort of low patches that they've had over the last few years, whenever they're in sort of one of their down cycles, we still don't beat them then. So... Like, I can't, I still sort of can't really believe it happened in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like how, and the way it all played out with all of the luck going to us and the way we were so aggressive and dominated them. And even the sort of one bit of nonsense with the red card didn't matter at all. And I think, I think I'm right. And so I, I, I'm pretty sure I heard it a few times this week, actually. That's the first time we scored against them in our stadium in the Premier League, which is crazy i think we scored against them in the climbing cup a couple of times but it's our first premier league goal against them in the premier league era um in the new stadium which is crazy like, it's absolutely and nobody crazy. saw it <laughs> yeah and no one saw it and we we, we played what we played them like four times last year in like the space of two weeks or something ridiculous and we lost every single one and we didn't even lay a glove on them like that was eight I, eight nil on aggregate yeah something like yeah. that and as you say rosa even in their lowest points they always they always either turn up against us or they have something against us. Like we finish above them in the league and then they go and win the Champions League or something like that happens. You know, we, we have very, very little to hold over Chelsea over the last few years. So it was great to finally have, um, and not just beat them as well, but like convincingly beat them like easily because they were just awful. And again, going back to my, um, would I have taken six points and and four goals to nothing in West Ham and uh, Chelsea, same as West Ham, we got to just wheel out a load of songs abusing them at the end of the game because it, the crowd was so relaxed. It was great to be at home hearing uh, the, our fans just abusing the Chelsea fans who were still there at the end. Like Just to be able to wheel out a succession of, of songs about how shit your biggest rivals are, it's quite sweet and not something we always get as Spurs fans either. And didn't most of the Chelsea fans leave on about 70 minutes as well? Yeah, they did, and they they were they were dreadful as well. And the same with West Ham. Of last the last two weeks, you've had two sets of fans that can can bring quite a lot of noise to White Hart Lane. You know, they're both big derbies, um, and neither of them showed up. You know, in terms of their fans, either for either of those games, it's fantastic. And like, I do, I've I've had the, I've had this long standing theory that we are the only team in the in the country that plays six derbies a season. Um, you know, West Ham, Chelsea, and Arsenal were all three of those teams' most hated rivals, and that simply doesn't happen to anyone else. And usually. As a result of that, we end up losing one of those games because it's simply a, a big occasion that we don't rise up to. So to win two of them in quick succession is just not something that we do often. So, you know, I'm, I'm really, really loving it because I think so many times in the last few years, having those six massive games has really, really come to haunt us. And this is, you know, it's, it's been great to win, get two of them won. Right. As you are listening to this, it's probably Wednesday. And we will be heading up north to Sheffield to play Sheffield United in the FA Cup. Again, I have sort of 
promised myself that I'm not going to take the last game that we've played to mean anything for the future. But of course, I've now gone mad with hope. I don't really know anything about Sheffield anymore because I'm sort of still traumatised by the last time they were in the Premier League when I think our draw with them was like Poch's last game. So that's the only memory I really have of them. I looked them up and they are second in the championship, obviously doing really well. Um, I looked up their squad. I don't know who any of their players are. Um, I really, really, really hope the fact that, I really hope my ignorance doesn't come back to bite me. Do either of you two have any more information for me about our opponents? Um, so I know they are they're second in the championship, but they're also second by miles. Like I think they're seven points clear in second. So they're they're almost kind of you'd be very surprised if they don't come up from this point. Um I think I was just having a look, they're they're really good at home. They've got the second best home form in the whole league. They've lost three home games all season. Um they've won That's, not, that's not great. That's not very encouraging. Yeah, yeah it's not <laughs> not great. But you know, what is encouraging? Well, it's enc- it should be encouraging, but if you're a Spurs fan, like we all are, this is not necessarily music to your ears because this is the kind of thing which we thrive upon messing up. So the manager came out yesterday and said, um, we've got illness through the count. So I think the manager is Paul Heckenbottom, who I think took over when Chris Wilder left, I think, if I remember rightly. Um, we've got illness through the camp and we've, not, we've got a few missing. We'll see how everyone is tomorrow and decide the team from there. It's frustrating. We've got a few bodies back with a tight schedule. So it sounds like they've got a lot of missing key players and also illness going through their squad at the same time, which is good. I think, um, I don't know if you remember Sander Burge, who's a pretty good midfielder that they have. Um, I think he's their standout player. I don't really know much about their other squad. I just going through their names. I didn't recognise some of them from like the the times when they, they they beat us, didn't they, a couple of times. They beat us under Mourinho and they drew us under Positino. Um, I don't really know anything about them other than that. But um, <clears throat> I don't think it's going to be an easy game. But, you know, we have to be winning it, don't we? We've got to be winning it, really. Um, and just, Rosa, on your um, notes of optimism, we're just recording as the kind of first lot of this round of FA Cup games has ended. Um, Blackburn beat Leicester, so they're one of the teams we could get in the uh, quarterfinal draw. There's also, I mean, Brighton, who were quite good this season, let's be honest, uh, and Fulham, and, yeah, of course, Man City as well. But, um, yeah, there's, we, you know... We could uh, we could get Blackburn in the quarterfinal. That would be pretty great. I'd probably back us more to beat Man City again, to be honest. <laughs> um, as you know, these these cup draws are so weird, aren't they? Just because I have been like I really, I think provided I don't why again am I saying all these things out loud? I feel like provided we do don't do anything completely insane, like really properly insane, we should get fourth as things stand, right? I don't think Newcastle are very good at the moment. They're on a bit of a sort of horrible spiral and they were not, the bits I saw of the League Cup final, they were pretty terrible. So, and they're just not winning any games. So you would think that if we can finish strong, we would get fourth. So, but now I don't know what that means for the Cups because I don't really feel like we've got the squad to take it that far. Also, that awful, awful Borough game has just come back to me uh, as well. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. It's one exactly of, that time, isn't it? One yeah. of our worst performances in recent years. So, mm-hmm. I was definitely thinking about that Borough game as well because it's a very similar, I think it's a pretty similar time of the season, similar kind of thing going away to a, a Northern Championship team and just sort of, you know, it's not, it's not going to be easy at all. You know, one thing I remember, I'll always remember about Sheffield United fans. They are the best ever away support I've ever seen against Tottenham. When we played them in the in the the Carling Cup semi final, um, I stood right by them, and they were unbelievably good. And they they were apps. And I remember from that game, we actually ended up stealing the everywhere we go chant. I don't know if you remember that back in the yeah. day in that cup final. Yeah. I was at that game as well, Bill, and I distinctly remember hearing them singing the "Everywhere We Go" and we just need. Are it. they are they mad about it? This isn't like a grudge match, is it? I really, I no. just, I can't deal with any more of them because it's not I just derbies yeah. that we have. We have weird grudge matches everywhere, don't we? I don't even know if they're actually aware of the fact that we actually literally just we saw them sing it and then just stole it for the rest of that season. Which That's is, even more even... insulting if they don't <laughs> yeah. even know us. <laughs> I don't even know if they know that we stole it from them, but um, and it's still even, get, I, it's still getting wheeled out, got wheeled out last week against West yeah. Ham like perfect. yeah I, I vividly remember that away and they were fantastic I, I always 
it's one of the it's just one of those games, isn't it? Everyone always remembers that that Sheffield United game when Ericsson scored in the snow. It's just one of those Tottenham games which everyone remembers for some reason. So I do kind of have you know hopes that we can do that again. Um, I think that game that went game went to extra time, didn't it? It was a bit of a nervy one in the end, but um, yeah, we nearly yeah. screwed it up. I mean, obviously. yeah, we very yeah we very nearly screwed <laughs> it up. So hopefully we can we can get another result there because I, I don't think it's going to be easy. It's interesting when you mentioned. Um, you know, going for the top four and, and the squad, I think it'll be a, a good chance tomorrow to see some players which we haven't seen much of, um, like your Poro, your, who came on for his home debut the other day. I would love to see Dan Juma. Do you remember him? Like, he has not even ex- been an existing player for us. Poor since, Dan Juma. He came on and scored on his debut and then has not been seen again at all. Like Lucas came on instead of him the other day. That's just yeah. mortifying, really. So I hope we get to see him a little bit maybe as well. And, what I'm particularly excited about is hopefully getting to see Sar in midfield. Because, yeah, surely, surely. Um, I think we'll see him tomorrow because, you know, Skip has, has come in and at, at first I, I was preferring to see Sar, but Skip has been unquestionably the, the right choice. Um, he might even you might even get to see them play together tomorrow because um, Hoybier never gets a rest. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing maybe some of those fringe players that we don't get to see that much. Um, I'm, I'm guessing Harry Kane will start because he always does. And also, I'm, I'm still like committed to our idea that Kane is just going to like decide the FA Cup is his this year, right? And and do the messy thing of scoring in every round. Yeah, do you remember that Portsmouth game where he sort of, like we were pretty terrible against a, a pretty rubbish Portsmouth team and then he just decided, all right, I'll just go and win this myself. So yeah, I'm hoping yeah. it's that, that kind of energy again. Um, again. And also just generally in Stellini we trust because I think they've said uh, Conte won't be back for, for Sheffield United but could be back for the weekend or Milan. But yeah, what a, just another big, lovely shout out to that guy because... That undefeated guy. What a job he's yeah. doing. Do you know, I also found out, I was listening to one of the, another podcast and um, he also took over as manager for Conte when... Conte was at Inter as well, and he won two games there as well, I believe. So he's never lost a game. Um, yeah, not, yeah. He's, not literally, he's literally undefeated, yeah. And it's not just at Tottenham either. It spans multiple clubs now. So, yeah, Stellini in for sure. Imagine if, so if, imagine if we like do actually win something this season and he sort of plays a, a big part in it. Like, you know, we don't know how long Conte is going to be. Like, we're going to have to, like, have like a Stellini statue or something like that at the, at the stadium because I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I am. I'm totally for it. And one of the weird things that's happened this week as well is that Conte has been nominated for manager of the month, right? But the only game he was actually present for was the 4-1 against Leicester. And there's that weird Which sort seems- of Richard. Do you remember, do you see that Richardson quote after the game where he was like, he basically calling out Conte saying Stellini, Stellini's been excellent now. It's time for Conte to step up when he comes back or something, or something <laughs> yeah. along those lines. Like, Hold on, what's going on here? I'm a bit like, Richarlison, do you know something that we don't? Because I sort of feel like you wouldn't go up against Conte if you thought he was coming back anytime soon. I do look like that's the I do like the fact that that's the kind of player that Richarlison is, that he yeah. goes up against the opposition team and even his own manager. So yeah, that's and kind of rightly so, I guess. Because it has been one of the weirder things of this season that he hasn't had a chance. So, you know, fair enough. Are we feeling do we feel sort of positive about Sheffield I mean it's one of those weird things isn't it because I look at the championship table and they're obviously flying um but you transfer that into the Premier League and you would think you know like when they come up next season you'll be like these are the kinds of teams we really should be beating right so but for some reason I'm just not confident at this moment yeah, but maybe that's I just think, because I just assume there's going to we've been on a high and there'll be a crash inevitably. Yeah, it's going to be one of those ones where the atmosphere is going to be unbelievable for Sheffield United. Mm. We're going to have to sort of dig in for the first ten minutes or whatever and just hope that we get a breakaway. Um, I am confident actually. I do think we'll win it, but I don't think it's going to be easy. I just I'll just take like a one nil Harry Kane competent win. I'll, I'll take that all day. Yeah, Tom is Linton going? Uh, no, he tried to persuade me to go. But, you know, it's a weird thing, isn't it? This um, this round of FA Cup games in midweek because it's kind of nice that there's more football on TV, but it's not ideal for fans, is it? Like having to stay over midweek, potentially have two days off work, pay for a hotel. Um, you're not really getting a train back from Sheffield at ten thirty or whatever, are you? So, um, so no, I I'm not going, but. 
Yeah, I think we'll win. I'd love, I'd love old Dan Juma to have a like to start and uh, and get another goal or whatever. Because I do feel a bit bad for him that he scored in his debut as soon as he'd arrived and then got disappeared. I think um, the draw is on straight after our game as well. So if we do, you know, I don't want to, you know, get ahead of ourselves. But if we do win, and then there's a really decent chance of that, as Tom was just saying earlier, there's a decent chance of getting a, a pretty decent quarterfinal draw. And then that's when you start to really start to think about what could happen, isn't it? So I, I am excited. I do hope we win. And then, you know, imagine if we just get, we win that game, then we draw Blackburn at home with a chance to go for Wembley in the semi-finals. So, you know, it's, it's starting to get in that time of the season where you're starting to dream. So I, I just hope we win so we can keep the dream alive. Yeah, I really want it this year. I think I've been very swept up in sort of top four is everything for the last few years. But I really, 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 really want to see Kane lift the cup. And you know what's made me realise that as well is this whole, I, I know we shouldn't, I know I don't really want to get dragged into the whole like a Newcastle and and the discourse around that because, but, and the, the sort of, the, the the thing that surrounds them about, they haven't won a trophy for like 60 odd years, whatever it is. Oh, like plucky, plucky little underdog Newcastle. And, yeah, and they're, yeah, not, yeah. they're not given the same things that we are. Like, you know, if you were, if you didn't know anything about football, you would assume that Tottenham are a team that have never won a trophy in their entire life. And you, if you follow this online discourse, and even from the pundits, is that team is actually Newcastle. That's what they are. They haven't won a team. They haven't won a trophy for 66 years, whatever it is. Um, but, you know, the fact that they lost the, the, the cup final was unlucky, apparently. And, you, you know, they didn't bottle anything. If that was us, man, we'd have been the biggest bottle jobs, you know, ever seen um so it's just frustrating that you know comparatively our trophy drought is much smaller than theirs um but if we don't win you know if we lost a final like that it would not get the same reaction so i just really want to win something just so we can just put to bed all this stuff and um you know just get it over the line please for once do you know what i think it is i think there's something about the fact that we have ambitions to to try to win something the fact that we have come close it's like it's it's almost seen as more embarrassing than to have just never got anywhere near it. Like we've been in a ridiculous number of semi-finals. We've come really close to winning the league a couple of times, and we've been in a few finals. And it's almost like, like since when was just actually trying to win stuff like a bad thing? I feel like there is this sort of weird attitude to Scotland because we've tried and we've not quite managed it. That's somehow worse and more embarrassing than if you're Newcastle and you just didn't get anywhere near. And you know what? It gets me because you know, I shouldn't let it affect me, but it really does. Um, <laughs> You're in a safe space now, Bill. It's I okay. Say, I saw this tweet on on the weekend. I, you know, it says a lot about the fact that I'm still thinking about it a couple of days later. There's a picture of a car with, with some kind of Tottenham number plate, or it looked like the word Spurs in the number plate. And a West Ham fan quoted it saying, "I bet it doesn't have a cup holder." A West Ham fan. In the replies, there were Newcastle fans laughing at it. So what? What are you doing? What are you even thinking? Like, you have not won a trophy for decades longer than we haven't. So I just don't understand where this thing has come from, that we are the team that doesn't win trophies. We're like the sixth most successful team in the history of the English game. But, you know, we're getting people like spec savers coming out of us tweets about us not winning trophies. It's just like, no, this is my therapy session. It does really get me down. And I've never found a way of properly dealing with it either, I'll be honest. There, like, there are times winning the FA Cup is the only way. That's to do it. it, and that honestly, that will do it, won't it? If we could just because then that, that answers like two things as well. It's the trophy for us, and it's the trophy for Kane, and, and then it's, do, and then it's and done. You, and you know, as soon as you win the FA Cup, well, they haven't won the Premier League or we'll the Champions League. But sure. you know, yeah. even if we'd have won the Champions League, they'd have been, oh, they won the Premier League. But I know they'll, they'll, they'll always be something. Trophy. But for us, we'll at least have like yes. ten minutes of we'll we'll know peace for ten minutes. That's Let's all we want. Let's get one Let's trophy and then worry about after that. And then we can <laughs> we can celebrate with Beyonce in the stadium on the same exactly. day. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. We listen. Hopefully by this time tomorrow we will still be dreaming. Um I'll tell you who is not dreaming anymore is Spurs Women, who went out of the FA Cup at the weekend. That was a, that was a great segue, by the way. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Just uh, so natural. Um yeah, they went out of the FA Cup to Reading at home. And I said last week that Reading still haven't scored against us. In, they haven't scored against us in open play for like two years. And that remains the case because we lost to them on penalties, which is just so brutal. Um, the big problem, I think, was that we didn't have Beth England. I think she had some sort of weird, mysterious knock 
or illness or whatever. I don't think it's going to be one of those things where it's like a little knock and then we don't hear from them again for like a year because um, the official Spurs Women Twitter account had posted a video of her in training today. So I, I have to believe that they wouldn't do that and if she wasn't coming back for the weekend. So that's a bit sad, really, because I really, I, I really thought that we would beat them, but I did not anticipate um, not having Beth England playing. So another another chance to put things right this weekend when we have to play Man City away. <laughs> but so I'm not really expecting anything out of that game. But I don't think that is anything other than a free hit anyway. I don't think it's going to kind of materially affect our season at this point. I think we will still probably be safe from relegation. So it's just annoying because it would have been nice to win a game. But whatever happens at City, it's, you know, it does feel like a free hit and hopefully Beth England will be back and everything will be fine. So hopefully I'm not I'm not proved wrong about that. Um, if no one has anything else to add about either of our teams, shall we move on to culture? Tom, I'm going to go to you first because... I'm dying to talk to you about something, which I hope you're going to mention. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I'll, I'll mention it. Um, first, uh, there's a song I really like called Sun Sleeper by Barry Can't Swim, who's, I think, a Scottish producer who kind of w- was about from last year, released a couple of wicked tracks last year, and this new one, Sun Sleeper, is very fun. I think the artwork's inspired by the movie Nope, uh, which I'm sure Billy's seen. Um the Jordan Peele movie, but I haven't seen that yet. Um, and then I fit, watched all of the gold, the BBC One thing about the Brinks Matt robbery, um, which was pretty good. It made these no, the, what was good is that it was true, a totally true story. There are a few kind of invented characters, um, but most of the characters were real people. Uh, yeah, it was good. It was really good, really watchable. It slightly made some of these criminals a bit more geezery and sort of uh, Jack the Lad than they really are, like if you know the true story of Kenneth Noy, for example. Um, and, yeah, if you then Google them all, they're all quite horrendous people. Anyway, it's worth a watch, six parts. And then I've watched the first two of Fleishman is in Trouble, which uh, is an adaption of... Taffy, someone whose full name I can't remember. She's a New York Times journalist. Taffy Brodesa Ackner. Yeah. What a name. What a name. Wrote, it's a brilliant book. Fleishman is in Trouble. It's mm-hmm. about uh, a very, it's about very privileged people in New York's Upper East Side. Is it East or West? Proper, proper. It's, yeah, it's Upper East Side. I was going to say that's the proper old money, but actually I think the Upper West Side is the, Super duper old money. Anyway, I would, I would take either way. I mean, I would take an apartment in either mm-hmm. Upper East or Upper West, yes. overlooking Central Park. Sounds amazing. Um, but yeah, the show really made me miss New York because what a brilliant city. Um, and yeah, Claire Danes is the female lead, uh, Mrs. Fleischman, Fleischman. Uh, and uh, Jesse Eisenberg is the male lead. Um, and I liked the first two episodes. What are you thinking, Rosa? I'm really, really, really loving it. Um, I loved the book as you did, and it unfolds in such a brilliant way where initially you're like, honestly, you're so privileged. I I don't care about you, get fucked. And then it kind of peels back the layers of that to become something, something much more, much deeper, much more sincere, much more compelling, particularly with the female characters. And I love most of the people who are in it. I mean, I do even like Jesse Eisenberg, actually. I know he sort of divides opinion, but, and I obviously love Claire Danes, Lizzie Kaplan. I'm getting like strong OC flashbacks with Adam Brody, who is playing sort of very kind of bro Seth Cohen, but that's really he working looks, for he me. He looks great as well. He still looks Looks great. fantastic, yeah. i tell you who does. I did not ever enjoy How I Met Your Mother, um, but... I can't, I mean, he doesn't really, he doesn't have like a real name, does he? He's just Ted Mosby. He plays Lizzie Kaplan's husband and he's so, so funny in it. He doesn't have a lot to do. But when he shows up, it's really, he's just very sort of deadpan and droll and amusing. Um, My one problem with it, I think, is that I don't, I do feel like there is a mismatch between Jesse Eisenberg and Claire Danes. And maybe it's just because 
she is like like her sort of star wattage is so intense. She a bit older than him in real life as well. No, I don't think so. I think they're maybe like a couple of years. They're all the same age. Um, I think they're all like early 40s. I think it's just more that I'm a bit like, when would she have ever married him? Do you know what I mean? I just don't really... They do a sort of... They do kind of flashbacks to kind of help you understand it, but I still don't really understand it. And this is going to sound quite weird, <laughs> Because I think Jesse Eisenberg is a really good actor and I don't think he always has to play these sort of dweeby types. Like there's obviously like a kind of sad sack vibe to Toby Fleischman. But I feel like he's he doesn't have to be quite so beta. Do you know what I mean? I think in the book I imagined him not quite as dweeby. And Mm. the opening episode, it's on Disney Plus, by the way, the opening episode... um, is and the start of the book is him on dating apps getting lots of sex, um, which I don't necessarily buy with with Jesse Eisenberg, to be honest. But um, I feel like I could buy it. I feel like he's being weirdly directed, or he's weirdly like. I think he could. I think he could be more believable in that. I think he's got it in him. That's my feeling. I feel like he's damping it down and I don't know or maybe it's just because he's in contrast to Claire Danes who kind of can't damp it down ever because that's just who she is I also do that's a compliment to her obviously yeah I I mean she's only she's not been in it tons in the first couple of episodes which is part of the the story like I've read the book obviously but um she is amazing every time she's on screen and so far I'm really enjoying the direction as well because Mm. is very smart and you're like you said there are layers peeled away as as you continue with it so yeah i'm excited to to watch the rest of it it's been really good yeah i've done five episodes so and i think there's like eight or eight or ten i can't remember anyway nearly there yeah i'm really loving it um have you listened to or watched anything else I know that's it from me. I think just some, yeah, uh, yeah. That Barry can't swim track, which is called Sun Sleeper, is a right banger. And then yeah, Over Mono. I'm excited for that new album and all the tracks they've got out so far are great. Oh shit! And the Caliucci's, that new Caliucci. Yes. Track. Is that out yet? No. Uh, no. The I'm album. Check it every is, day. The album is this week, and the Excellent. new track is called Moonlight. So, so good. She's just... Very cool, very slinky. Just, yeah. yeah. Right on my street. Not even a massive R&B head, but that is a banger. Mm -hmm. And uh, that album that was called... Shit, what was it called? Isolation uh, was so good, her first... So, so, so good, yeah. Um, That's me. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Billy, how about you? Um, You know what? I was was walking to work on a Friday, as I always do, and I listened to all of the the sort of new songs that have just come out on on the the, the new music playlist. And um, I was thinking, I haven't spoken about a song on this podcast for ages, and I was going to, I was listening to that Barry Can't Swim song, and I really thought, like, this is, you know, a really, really good song, and I I totally forgot about it until you literally just mentioned it again there. Um, So, yeah, I I love that song as well. Um, I saw two films this weekend. I've um, I've seen Ant-Man, the new Ant-Man, finally. but I'm not really going to talk about it too much. I know you haven't seen it yet, Rosa, but um, got some things to say about it. I, I thought it was all right. It was okay. I thought Kang was was excellent and the rest of the film is okay. Um, but I'll go into that a bit later on when, when, you, when you've seen it. Um, but I saw Women Talking and that was the, the, the final film that I've seen out of the 10 Best Picture nominations. And it, it, it's absolutely excellent film it's it's fantastic i think it's it's probably the third best one i've seen out of the turn out behind um banshees and everything everyone at once um it's a very very heavy subject matter but it deals with it in a, in a very um careful way and inspiring way and the, the, the story is excellent and if i read the cast list you've got rooney mara claire foy jesse buckley uh ben Mishaw and francis mcdormand uh, and that is just like a, it's like a sort of NBA all-star um, cast, isn't it? Of of an, it's an incredible, incredible women, like the best, you know, the who's who of Hollywood at the moment. Some incredible performances. Um, is it Sarah Polly directed yes, it? It, it yeah. is. It is, and it, it's one of those things where it's you know, it, it's it's a, a film. It's exactly what it says. It is. It's women talking from for most of the film, and you think, you know, is that going to be stagey? Is that, is it going to drag? But it doesn't at all. It's it's an absolute 
masterclass in in everything intention and in acting and writing and direction it's an absolutely brilliant film um and as i say it's a very very heavy subject matter based on a, a, a horrific true story um of uh, based on a, i think it's a tribe in bolivia if i remember rightly um reimagined in in america um very very heavy story but an, an excellent one um so that's definitely my recommendation is women talking i strongly recommend going to see it or seeing it when it comes comes on to streaming um it's a really really good film yeah i remember reading about it. the story is absolutely horrific it's a sort of it's like a mennonite sort of amish type community isn't it yeah that just live they, kind of obviously completely closed off from the world yeah and they are um yeah yeah i, I mean i don't i don't even really particularly want to even go into yeah we're not we're not going to traumatize yeah, anyone, anyone more, more, but, more than necessary on a Tottenham podcast yeah but it is it's very very heavy but they deal with it in a, in a very very respectful way like you don't see any of the 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 um you don't see any of the of that depicted um and it's a very very you know carefully um very very carefully dealt with of a very difficult subject matter and it's it's a masterful actual depiction of of that kind of um story so yes yeah, it's, it's really really good that is a really really excellent review bill thank you and i'm really i'd, I'd forgotten that the um best picture you, there's 10 nominees now i totally forgotten that because obviously like for so many years it was just five so that's even more impressive that you've managed to get through all of those because i used to try to do it when it was five and it was a struggle even then um i sort of and it's quite fitting actually that my um other recommendation this week so i finished the power which was the book that i was reading last week the naomi alderman novel about women um becoming extremely powerful basically becoming more, more powerful than men and what that kind of does to society um and when I was reading it last week, I was sort of halfway into it and it was still in the kind of thrilling early days of women discovering their power and kind of taking over and wreaking revenge and all of that. And it was all very exciting and I knew that it was all going to go quite badly wrong. And I mean, it's, I don't really feel like it's a spoiler to say that it does go quite wrong for lots of people involved. So, which is kind of a bummer, but was fine. Like it's a really... I did like it. It is a really brilliantly written book and it's brilliantly conceived and it's really well thought out and it's very exciting. One of the the sort of thing that I struggled with in the end was she kind of just flips everything really. So women start behaving essentially like men and there's no sort of interrogation really of why that might happen like without sounding really pretentious i i find the sort of psychology of misogyny quite interesting and I'd, like i don't know why our societies have all kind of been built in this way and it can't and i don't know if it's just about the sort of physical power anyway um but i also don't have any sort of i'm not sort of sentimental about motherhood or women that we're sort of you know essentially like inherently better kind of creatures i don't believe that either but i do think it wouldn't be as simple as just kind of flipping it so that just felt a little straightforward to me but it is still a very good and interesting book and i'm still really really psyched to see the adaptation because I think there's like loads to work with for really 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 good actors um, which it will have in it so yeah I mean I'm glad I read it um I think I'm yeah I'm excited to see what comes out of the adaptation and I guess I'll report back when that happens thanks so much guys that was just a joy as ever oh Bill you've got one more thing to say yeah, I just want to say, uh, just before we go, um, this time next week on our next podcast, I'm guessing we're going to be talking about The Mandalorian because it's back. <gasps> Fuck yeah. Mad. And also on that note, Matt, well, right, this is basically going to have to turn into a culture podcast for the next month or so because mm-hmm. we have got Ted Lasso coming up, which is a new trailer just dropped. And Oh, that, that trailer made m- me so happy. Massive, massive news this week is that it's the last ever season of Succession, which is like a bombshell that was dropped in the, in the build up to it. He said it's going to be the last season. So yeah, that was a that really caught me off guard. I think I was expecting five in my head. But, I uh, thought he'd always said it was there was going to be five, but I feel like four is yeah. right. And I'm, I'm said, okay. Yeah, I'm okay with saying goodbye to them after so, this. I think. A, yeah, a big big march, big march coming. 
I feel like I'm so excited for Succession and Ted Lasso. Um, but I feel, I guess, like when you've got an ensemble cast like Succession does, and it's pretty important that they're all in it, really, isn't it? If one of them, you've got to keep that cast together. So I'd rather that than it kind of fades and people drop off. And, you know, I think Jesse Armstrong said, like, it could go forever, but maybe not be as tight and perfect. So I think I'd rather they... It's quite an English thing as well, isn't it? To like end it before it gets. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the Americans, they'll drag it on for like thousands of seasons. But, yeah. Uh, modern family style where there's a hundred series and no one's watching anymore. <laughs> and so financially, be, you'd have to think just like how many more of these like yachts can they afford to rent? Yeah. And they're all that, again, that cast who've won every award now must be on quite good wages, you'd imagine. Brian Cox. You'd think so, yeah. Earning some money. He did just come, I don't know if you saw, he did a really good interview this week where he says, he again said that he hates working with... Um, with oh, Jeremy so with Strong. Jeremy Strong, yeah. He's fine, <laughs> he's fine <laughs> his method, he said he's fine his method acting really annoying and he needs to, he's such an incredibly talented guy um, and he needs to start smoking more marijuana. I think he said something along those lines. Yes, Brian. He said he obviously they have massive respect for each other, but he genuinely hates the method acting that Jeremy Strong does, which I think is the idea of it in the first place. I love that. I'm super excited. All right, guys. Um, yeah, let's hope like March has like amazingness in store for all of us in every way. Billy, will you see us out? Up the spurs.